Welcome to Wealth Simplified, your guide to navigating the intricate world of wealth. Whether you're a first-generation wealth creator or a steward to multi-generational wealth, we want to make the complex simple and the vision clear. Join us as we unravel strategies and perspectives behind building, sustaining, and preserving wealth, empowering you with the knowledge and confidence to shape a secure financial future. Let's get to it. The following presentation by Waldron Private Wealth is intended for general information purposes only. No portion of the presentation serves as a receipt of or a substitute for personalized investment advice from Waldron or any other investment professional of your choosing. Please see additional important disclosure at the end of this presentation, a copy of Waldron's current written disclosure brochure discussing our advisory services and fees is available upon request at www. WaldronPrivateWealth.com. Hello, hello. This is Samantha on the mic for an episode of Wealth Simplified. Today is August 2nd, and we're going to do things a little bit differently today. Uh, We had some big news headlines hit last night, and we wanted to talk about them and deliver an update to you guys while it's prompt, and also share our thoughts on how this is going to impact listeners and investors. So just some general background. Yesterday evening, Fitch, one of the so-called big three credit rating agencies, cut the U.S. long-term credit rating from a AAA rating to a AA-plus rating. So I have brought our chief investment officer, Ben Greenfeld, and one of the senior analysts on our investment team, Pat Ellsworth, on the mic to talk about everything you guys need to know. So I want to hit it off just with the basics. Can you guys talk a little bit about what these credit rating agencies are and why the ratings are relevant? Yeah, so so like you mentioned, the the big three credit rating agencies are Fitch, Moody's, and S&P. And what they do is they give ratings to entities that issue bonds, uh, and these entities can be corporations, they can be municipal governments, and what a lot of people uh, may not realize is they can also be federal governments. And these ratings are really relevant because it impacts the ability for these companies to issue debt, the the yields and rate interest rates that they're going to have to pay on the debt, similar to if a person was going to access a loan from a bank. If you have a really low credit score and want to borrow a significant amount of money, you're going to have to pay a much higher interest rate than somebody with a, a credit score in the 800s. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. It's it's very similar to a personal credit rating. It's just at a, a corporate and government level. Thanks for that explanation. So talk to me about, you know, what was the logic behind this decision to to downgrade the credit rating? Did something happen? Are they seeing something that we aren't? Yeah, I think, you know, the interesting thing about the timing of this is nothing new has really come out in the last couple of weeks that would have, I would say, alarmed the rating agency to the level that they needed to make a you know, make this decision. I think this largely reflects the scenarios we had back in May as we approached the debt ceiling and the levels of debt that we continue to to approach. I think the um, the biggest thing is, you know, again, just to you know go back, they they cut the rating from the U.S. government from uh, AAA to AA plus, and the rationale that they 
quoted was, you know, the expected fiscal deterioration over the next three years and a high level of high growing level of debt. And I think the input from Fitch's side that goes into this is they are essentially modeling out a federal deficit of around 6% of GDP over the next few years. And that increasing level of debt has, you know, I think at this point caused them enough concern that they say, hey, you know, the U.S. government is not as strong as they once were. Their debt levels are increasing. We have higher rates. Their debt service levels are higher. We have to be, we have to do something. But there's nothing that was, nothing new that popped up that was all of a sudden, hey, we got to do this. There wasn't a default on debt. There wasn't a, you know, a, a near bankruptcy. There just, this didn't, you know, this was something I think that was just leading up and the timing just happened to be that August 1st of 2023 was the day to do this. Right. And am I correct that a double A plus rating is still a great rating, correct? Absolutely. It's still a great rating. In fact, um, you know, most people, if, if you're an individual, you know, this would be like having a near perfect credit score. Mm-hmm. Most people would be thrilled with it. You go buy a car, you go get a house, you get a great rate on your auto loan, your mortgage rate, you're a good borrower. This is still a good, a very good rating to your point. And, um, you know, and I think that is, you know, that is what's, you know, most surprising. This ca- this will catch a lot, of, it will and is catching a lot of headlines because it is a major announcement, but this is still a very strong rating. Right. Nonetheless, markets react. Markets don't like uncertainty. They don't like change. So I, I understand that makes sense. So one of the things I was thinking about this morning is, you know, since I have been old enough to pay attention to the news, I have heard things about the debt ceiling. I have heard things about, you know, credit. Um, and it's interesting because this has actually happened once before. This happened in 2011 when another agency, S&P, downgraded the U.S. credit rating also to a double A plus. So, you know, I'm curious how, if at all, does this time differ? Yes. Yeah, so so it's very similar in the rationale that uh, Fitch quoted last night and to, to what S&P quoted 12 years ago. Like you mentioned, they, they took the same action. They took the U.S. from the highest credit rating available to one notch lower, which, which as you discussed, is still a really high uh, score. The, the, the primary rationale in both senses was a increased lack of confidence in the, the, the government's ability to agree on terms of on fiscal matters, which, you know, can cause volatility in the interest rate markets. And, and, you know, that's where you see these debt ceiling standoffs that we had in 2011 that we had earlier this year. Um, you know, the, the one thing that I think is, is, is worth pointing out that was different in 2011 is that was still on the tail end of, of the great financial crisis. The economy was, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty related to how the U.S. economy and the global economy was going to continue to transition out of this you know, substantial recession that was one of the deepest and largest since the Great Depression. Um, and, and, and there were a lot of factors that came off of that. Um, but other than that, you know, for the most part, I think they are very similar. It's largely symbolic. Uh, I, and, and I don't, you know, and we saw this happen in 2011. 12 years have gone by. U- investors in U.S. Treasuries haven't had any material risk of default. Mm-hmm. There hasn't been any issues. The, you know, obviously last year the bond market was impacted by interest rates, but that wasn't a credit. There was not a credit component. Uh, the, the credit quality of the, of the U.S. government remains very high. They, 
as everyone is probably aware, they can print dollars to pay off this debt. The the you know whether or not that is a, a good action to take is another conversation. But they have the full ability to to pay the debt in full. So I think in general the the conditions are very similar. Ben and I were talking earlier. There was um, back in 2011 there was a an, an issue with the the Chinese currency. I don't know if you want to hit on that, Ben. Yeah, I mean this the timing of these credit uh, you know of 2011 and. Now, there are always other macro things happening that will create volatility in the market. If you go back to 2011, the markets got pretty volatile after the Fed, I'm sorry, after the uh, rating agencies made this announcement. You know, I'm not, I know the market's volatile today and, you know, in the light of the fresh news, the volatility will probably stick around for, uh, you know, could stick around for some time. This is just one of a number of issues that are out there just like, there was in 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing I want to point out too that I, you know, I meant to mention before was what does this really mean, right? Because one of the problems is what does what happens to existing treasuries? Correct. And as a result of this change, right, going from AAA to AA plus, as we talked about, is still a very high rating. What that means is that most holders of major holders of U.S. treasuries are not going to be forced to liquidate or sell the holdings they have. And you might say, why would they be forced to sell it? Most, a lot of investment policies that are written state what you can and can't own. And if a, if a credit rating falls, that could change what you're allowed to own. But um, a lot of these policies do not say that it has to be a credit, a AAA rating. A lot of it says that they can invest in U.S. treasuries and doesn't specifically say what the rating has to be. But, um, you know, just like in 2011, when the when S&P downgraded the credit ring of the U.S., it did not create any forced selling, which I would expect as well to happen now. I don't think there's going to be any material change. I think, by and large, despite this change, the U.S. is still viewed as you know, as a prominent economy and a prominent government across the globe. And so people still want to own in a safe place to be, right? People refer to U.S. treasuries as a safe haven. Most people look at that as owning U.S. treasuries as this is, you know, this is safe money. I don't have to worry about it. And in fact, a lot of other bonds that are out there are based on and quoted in how they, what their yields are or interest rates are relative to comparable treasuries. And so they talk about, are you getting compensated enough for owning riskier assets? I still think that this, that treasuries will, will hold the place as, as that safe haven. I'm not, I personally don't have any concern that, you know, I wouldn't be out selling treasuries today just because this news came out last night. I don't think there's anything new that happened that would have, would cause you to think differently. Yeah, to to expand on that, Ben, you know, to your point that you said the U.S. is a preeminent economy, I would say it is the preeminent economy. The the U.S. dollar is referred to as the world's reserve currency. A lot of other central banks hold their excess uh, reserves essentially in U.S. treasuries. And because of that, there is a significant amount of just structural demand for these treasury securities, whether that's from endowments, pensions, wealthy individuals here in the U.S., banks here in the U.S., central banks overseas, other institutions overseas. There's a, there's a substantial number of buyers that want these bonds. Mm-hmm. It, that 
this occurring in 2011 didn't change that this occurring today isn't going to change that it's it's going to generate some headlines we've seen headlines recently related to some of the the so-called BRICS countries which are you know Brazil Russia India China looking to create a currency to compete with the United States that's a different conversation but there's a they have a long way to get the ball down the field to make that even enter the same conversation as the US dollar I could see this situation generating some headlines as it relates to that, but it's that's all it's going to be for the time being is just headlines. Yeah, I think headlines do. You know, I mentioned volatility. Headlines do create volatility. The, the markets in general do not like uncertainty, mm-hmm. and the uncertainty of this happened now what you know gives people pause. But I do think that you know, as I mentioned before, I think there will be volatility as a result of this. And it's going to be, you know, it could be in some more of the interest rate sensitive names, right? You look last year as interest rates were rising, we saw a, the heaviest part of the volatility uh, hitting the big technology names that have a lot, you know, carry larger debt levels, variable rate debt. Naturally, as you've all seen, this year has been a complete reversal where those big tech names have led the charge and are, you know, handily outpacing the broader uh, broader markets. But I do think that some of those in more interest rate sensitive names could be, you know, benefit or could be, you know, hit by hit with volatility as this news kind of makes its way through the market. Yeah. And so I think you, you hit on a couple of things there. One of the things you said is that there's not going to be forced selling. Pat, you mentioned that there's still going to be demand for this type of vehicle, these treasuries. But I guess I, I, I want to know from an investor's perspective, do you think that this move is going to change yields at all in the space? And the reason I ask is, you know, whenever you see entities with lower credit ratings, they offer have to pay they often have to pay higher interest rates to kind of entice investors to take on that increased risk. So do you see that having any sort of impact on, you know, current holders or ones who are looking to hold the debt? So I think at the margin, this could, in the short term, cause yields to increase. But if you take a step back, you know, treasury yields move around substantially on a daily basis, on, a, on an annual basis. You look at last year, uh, you know, the, the yields on U.S. treasuries more than doubled. There was no change in the credit rating. You know, they are influenced by expectations for inflation, expectations for economic growth, uh, the the structural demand, you know, the kind of the mechanics of the buying and selling in the market. So there are a lot of factors that are more prominent in the setting of interest rates that that you see on U.S. Treasuries. So I think it would be naive to say that this will have no impact, uh, uh, certainly in the short term. Uh, but I, I think in if we zoom out a month from now, two months from now, three months from now, it's given what we know today and given the information related to this decision, I I think it's largely irrelevant in the setting of interest rates as compared to the other things that influence them. Understood. I mean, you've seen very, you've seen some movement this morning in, you know, in the 10 year treasury, not super meaningful. um, But there's been some, it has been a little bit of movement in yield this morning, but I, I largely think it's being viewed as a, as a non-event and, and I would argue, if you do see, a t- you know, like Ben, Ben, like you mentioned, we didn't learn anything new last night. The standoff related to the debt ceiling happened. Everybody saw it. It was all over the news. It was impossible to ignore. Mm-hmm. This decision comes out if, as a result of 
a, a an unrelated entity saying, you know, we are, are changing our outlook on the U.S. government due to information that everybody already knew, and you're going to be compensated more for buying those bonds. I, I would say it's a positive for new investors in treasuries because you're you're taking on, in my opinion, the same risk you were earlier for a, for a higher yield. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think as we sit here today and look at portfolios and say, you know, for long-term investors, what should we be thinking? The news that came out last night has not changed our, you know, we've talked about a little bit this morning, but it has not changed what we believe we should be owning in portfolios from, um, you know, from a allocation standpoint. I think that, you know, we, we've been, you know, we have the portfolios allocated in a way that for our clients that are long-term focused, trying to pay attention to what's happening in the short term, but not get caught up in the headlines. And as long-term investors, you try to say, what, what does this news mean for me as I look out into the future? Not what does it mean for me today or tomorrow, but as I'm trying to design an allocation that has helped, has, has a goal of meeting my long-term financial needs and, and wishes, what does this do? And it's not something that the, you know, it's not a scenario where all of a sudden we have to exit all of our treasury holdings and you know exposure that is related to treasuries because of this move. Um, that's not, you know, it's not like a company going bankrupt that you have to really worry about. It's something to be aware of, but it's not, you know, it's not meaningful long-term for, uh, from an allocation standpoint. I think that was a really beautiful way to put a bow on things. You know, in summary, yes, this event happened. The factors that caused it were already known by, by us, by investors. Um, we expect some short-term volatility. And if you are a long-term investor, this is a blip on the radar, So thank you both so much for joining us and for summarizing that so eloquently. And if you have any questions regarding this event or any other questions about your portfolio, please reach out to us at podcast at waldronpw.com. If you're in need of wealth management planning and advice, we'd love to connect with you. You can reach out to us directly at podcast at waldronpw.com. The previous presentation by Waldron Private Wealth was intended for general information purposes only. No portion of the presentation serves as a receipt of or a substitute for personalized investment advice from Waldron or any other investment professional of your choosing. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and it should not be assumed that future performance of any specific investment or investment strategy or any non-investment-related or planning services, discussion, or content will be profitable, be suitable for your portfolio or individual situation, or prove successful. Waldron is neither a law firm nor accounting firm, and no portion of its services should be construed as legal or accounting advice. No portion of the video content should be construed by a client or prospective client as a guarantee that he or she will experience a certain level of results if Waldron is engaged or continues to be engaged to provide investment advisory services. A copy of Waldron's current written disclosure brochure discussing our advisory services and fees is available upon request or at www.waldronprivatewealth.com.